The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. This morning, we're going to look together at Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. After this morning, we will be taking a break from the gospel of Mark for the month of December. I will be not preaching in the month of December, taking a, uh, a needed break. We want to put those in each year. And so uh, starting next week, we'll um, be sort of shifting our focus away from the gospel of Mark um, to, to some other things um, around the Advent season. So I just wanted to, to let you know that is where we'll be headed. And it is a, a fitting place to take a break from the gospel of Mark for, for uh, four weeks because we find in these verses, Mark chapter 8, uh, a turning point in his gospel. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It has been a long while since we started the Gospel of Mark. But I would remind you of the way that Mark began this Gospel. As he shows us, he tells us that his purpose in writing this gospel has been to enable us to rightly know who Jesus is. Mark is, is laying all this out so that you would know and that I would know for ourselves who Jesus really is. These were Mark's first words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now Mark has laid out over the last seven and a half chapters the evidence for this, that Christ is the Son of God. It's important to understand that in a Roman world, and in the Roman world in which Jesus lived, and in which Mark wrote these words, this kind of thinking would not have been uncommon. It would not have been uncommon in a Roman world for people to, to believe that certain people came from God. 
Caesar himself was considered to be divine. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon to use language surrounding a person of being sent from God or being from God or being the son of God even. And so as one would have read these words or heard Jesus' teaching, they would have had to have come to a decision. Is, is Jesus just one more in a line of those who have come before? Is he just one more in a line of people who considered themselves to be divine or to emanate from God? Or is Jesus something different all together. And this is the foundational question for your life. There are a, a number of different foundational questions. And I think you understand what I mean when I say a foundational question. It's the question and the answer of the question that, that forms the foundation of your life upon which everything else is built, right? That's a, a foundational question. And everyone operates off of some set of a foundational question and an answer. That foundational question could take the form of, am I happy? And... A life is built off of this question, am I happy, right? If that's your foundational question, then your goal is to build a life that makes you happy. For a religious person, the foundational question would be, am I good? So they would set about building a life that could answer that question, am I good? Good. I think the foundational question for many today is Am I true to myself? And I will build a life that's true to myself. And I'll make decisions based on my life, based off of this question Am I being true to myself? These are all foundational questions. But the foundational question, the foundational question for Christianity is not like these other foundational questions. See, the, the vast majority of foundational questions that, that people ask themselves and find an answer to have as their focus and as their centered themselves, right? Am I happy? Am I good? Am I true to myself? All of those have as their center and as their focus yourself. But the foundational question for Christianity centers on someone else. The foundational question centers on the person of Jesus. And it is the question that Jesus asks his disciples. Who is it that you say that I am? This is the question that you have to come to an answer on. 
You have to make a decision on this question. Who is it that you say that Jesus is? This is a personal question. And your answer should not be just a parroting of what you have heard said before. Not just a a simple recitation of what you've been taught. And, And listen to me when I say that. That works on both sides of the religious spectrum, right? Because there are those that will say, well, Jesus Christ is the Son of God because that's what they've been taught. And they've not come to that decision on their own. They've just heard their parents say that or their grandparents say that, and so they say that. And then there are others who deny Christ, not because they've come to that conclusion based on their own investigation, but because they've just heard people deny him and think that that makes them a certain way. I wonder how much thought that you have really given to this question. Who is it that you say that Jesus is? This is the question Jesus asks his disciples. Let's look at the text together, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is now entering into his finishing up his second year of ministry. And we've, we've followed him as he was in a, a predominantly Jewish area around the, the Sea of Galilee in the Galilean area. And now he's sort of making a trip around and headed down to Jerusalem. And he is now in areas that are not Jewish. They are, they are Gentile. Uh, this This area, this, this city, these villages of Caesarea Philippi were um, p- pagan cities. They were pagan villages. Uh, Caesarea Philippi in particular would have been very hostile towards uh, Jews. It was in this area of Caesarea Philippi that that most historians believe you found the center for pan worship, pan worship, Um, the, the, the false god Pan. You may not be familiar with that god. You have probably seen its depiction. It was, um, a a creature with, uh, a, a goat's head, horns, and, and you stood upright, but its, its two legs were goat legs. It had the go- a goat's hindquarters. And, um, it was a, a, a false pagan god, and it was in Caesarea Philippi that they believed that it was the center for pan worship. So you, you see the imagery here of, of Jesus with his 12 disciples traveling through these villages of Caesarea Philippi, this, this pagan area filled with lots of, of different idols, lots of different places of worship of false gods. And as Jesus travels 
through these, he, he, he looks at his disciples and asks them a question. Who do people say that I am? And you, you kind of see it as, as Jesus says, look, in, in the middle of all of these different options, in the middle of all of these different so-called gods, in the middle of all of this worship, who is it that people say that I am? And his disciples give him three answers. And they told him, verse 28, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Now, We've heard these three before in the, in the answer to this question, who, who is Jesus? This, these are the same answers that Herod had come to in Mark chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod heard of it. This is, this is Jesus, Jesus' ministry after he'd sent out his, his disciples and, and the the. the the multiplication of his ministry and of his miraculous works um, had taken place in the sending of them. For Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like the prophet of old. So these evidently are incredibly common understandings of who Jesus was. These were common opinions of who Jesus was. Three, three opinions here. First is that Jesus is John the Baptist. That by this point, John the Baptist has been beheaded by King Herod. And so people are equating Jesus and Jesus's message with John the Baptist. And the reason why that is probably the case is because John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he, he would have been the last one that would have come and would have, have gained a following and proclaimed uh, repentance and, and brought the word of God and prepared the way for the Messiah. He would have been the last one, and so he would have been on everybody's mind. And they would have heard of him or seen him or heard him in person, seen his power, seen his, his works. And they, and they would have believed that, you know, Jesus must be John the Baptist resurrected because John the Baptist is the only one they've ever seen like that. Still others say that, no, this man is Elijah. Probably is because there are some commonalities between Jesus and Elijah in that they both worked miracles. It was uncommon for an Old Testament prophet to do miraculous works. But Elijah did. And Jesus did. And so there's this commonality between the two. There's also the, the knowledge that Elijah never died. And that there is Old Testament prophecy, Malachi 4, 5, that Elijah would return. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord 
comes. And so there are some who know their Old Testament, know these things about Elijah, know that there's prophecy that he will come again before Messiah comes. And so this man, Jesus, must be Elijah returned. And then there were those who weren't willing to narrow down onto one person, be it John the Baptist or be it Elijah, but that Jesus is a prophet. He's just a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. That Jesus was one more in a long line of those who would come before him. Because there is Old Testament prophets that Prophecy that God would bring a a prophet who would come before Messiah. Deuteronomy 18, 17 and 18. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. Who is it that people say that I am, Jesus asks. And he gets these these three common options. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. It is clear that people recognized several things about Jesus. Right? No one could speak like Jesus did. No one could speak with the kind of authority that Jesus had unless they were sent by God. It seems that there was that common understanding, right? That there's something different about him and it's clear who he is from. And so therefore he must be a a prophet, like John the Baptist, like Elijah, like one of the others, or else he couldn't talk the way that he talks and say the things that he says and have the authority that he has. Even those who did not really understand who Jesus was understood that he belonged to the same ongoing purpose of God as these men did. John the Baptist, Elijah, The prophets of old all come as mouthpieces of God in the great plans of God to bring to the people the word of, of God to announce the coming Messiah. The reality is that there was enough power in his works that people could not simply dismiss Jesus. They knew there was something about him, but they didn't know what it was. And as I I read those and thought about that, John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets, I thought, man, those are all really good. Like, it would be pretty incredible for somebody to think that about you or to think that about me, right? This guy must be John the Baptist. He must be Elijah. He must be one of the prophets. These These were really good things. But they missed the point, didn't they? Because a prophet is a pointer. Anyone who would have grown up being taught the Old Testament would have understood that the Old Testament prophets pointed forward to the one who would come. 
that they pointed towards the Messiah, the one who would come and establish the kingdom of God, the one who would come and establish the rule of God. There was one who is coming who will set the way straight, who will vanquish God's enemies, who will bring about the day of the Lord, who will establish the kingdom of God, that there is one coming. That's what the prophets of old did. They pointed at the one who is to come. And so they thought, this is who Jesus is. He is just one more in a long line of those who are pointing to the one who is to come. But if you think that Jesus is the pointer, you miss the point. Because he is the one to which all the prophets of old pointed. Jesus said so himself, Luke 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim that the, the year of the Lord's favor... And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, and I I love this. This is this Jewish practice. Someone would read the scroll and then the rabbi, whoever the teacher was for that day, would then teach on that. And here's Jesus' teaching today. The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was it. That was it. What was Jesus saying? That which was promised of old, that which was prophesied of old, that there would be one who would come and who would do these things, proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That has now been fulfilled because I am him. I'm him. But those in the synagogue that day could still not make sense of it all. Verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? There's no way that it can be. So Jesus asks his disciples this question, who is it that people say that I am? And the answer that he receives back is, you're just one of the pointers and not the point. And so then, verse 29, Jesus asks them, but who do you say that I am? And in the Greek, the emphasis there is on you. Who is it that you say that I am? Peter answered him, you 
are the Christ. From this moment forward, everything shifts. All that Jesus does from this point on flows out of this and moves to the cross. Who is it that you say that I am? And Peter, because he's Peter, he's the spokesman, he speaks up on behalf of all of them, and he says, you are the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He was not born to Joseph and Mary Christ. This is a title. It means the anointed one. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word that meant Messiah. Literally, the deliverer. And what Peter is saying when he says, you are the Christ, is that you are the one. You are the one about whom the prophets of old have spoken. The promised one of the ages. You are the one. The Christ. The Christ in the parallel passage in Matthew 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There is no mistaking who Peter understood Jesus to be. Now, here we are some 2,000 years removed from that, looking back and into this moment with some level of understanding that Jesus is Messiah or else... You, you may not be here. You may not be to that point yet. And if you're not, we're glad you're here. But we're like, yeah, okay, Peter came to that conclusion, of course. But it, this is remarkable for a Jewish boy to get to this place. Remarkable. Peter would have had it drilled in him every day of his childhood. A little something called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Over and over and over again. And when he went to bed at night, his mom or his dad, listen to me, son. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. Monotheism is the difference between Judaism and all the others in their day. There is but one God. And now... Peter confesses that one God 
That's who you are, Jesus. And what is it that's brought him to this? What is it that's brought him to this point? Well, it is all that he had seen and heard. If you remember, that's where we've been the last few weeks. All that that Peter has seen and heard from Jesus combined with the Spirit of God making it clear to him. That parallel account in Matthew 16, we read the beginning of it. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So here it is. The foundational question of all foundational questions. The foundational question that you have to come to a decision on. Who do you believe Jesus is? The reality is, is that the Bible provides all the truth that is needed to bring us to the same declaration that Peter has made. Now, for some of you, you may not like that statement, that the Bible provides the evidence. Because you aren't sure if you can really trust the Bible. And so to argue that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is God, and to base that argument off of God's word, you think, doesn't work for me. Now, that is a whole different conversation. And we do not have time to get into that today. But I'm happy to have that conversation with you. If that's a conversation you want to have, I'd love to have it with you. And I'm I'm happy to, to point you towards some really good resources to help you think critically about the reliability of God's word. But there's enough evidence here to bring us to that conclusion. But that isn't in and of itself enough. Is it? Because the reality is that it takes the Spirit of God to open it up in your heart and for you to believe. God the Father must bring you to that point. And it has to be personal to you. You have to come to that decision. The reason why I say that this is the foundational question that you have to come to an answer on is because you cannot ignore Jesus. You can't do it. You can want to ignore him, but you cannot ignore him. That was true in Jesus' day, right? You... You might not have liked what he had to say. You might not have agreed with what he had to say. But you 
could not ignore him. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people flocked to him. People loved him and people hated him. You could not ignore him. And the same thing is true today. You cannot ignore him. You have to come to a decision as to who you think he is. And the reason is because of the claims that he made. You can't just come to a decision that says, well, he must just be a prophet or a good man or a teacher or a good teacher who had a lot of things really uh, figured out pretty well and, and really had a good message of love that we should um, really try to apply in our lives today. But walk away from him thinking that he is anything less than God himself and the promised Messiah. Because Jesus claimed to be God himself and the promised Messiah. The scriptures have been fulfilled, Jesus said. This, this is C.S. Lewis's famous work, right? You've got to come to a decision about Jesus. Either he's a liar He's a lunatic or he's Lord. Either he's a liar because he made claims that he is the one and only son of God, the promised one, the son of man, the Messiah, the Christ, God in the flesh, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus, he makes those claims. So he was either just flat lying about it. And if he was lying about it, guess what? He's not a good teacher. Or he was delusional. He was crazy. He was a lunatic. If he's a liar or if he's a lunatic, then we have no responsibility to follow him. We have no responsibility to believe in him. But you, you can't ignore him. You have to decide either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he really was who he said he was. And if he really was who he said he was, then he is Lord. He is the promised one. He is the one sent from God. He is God in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. All the promises of God find their yes in him. He is Lord. And if he is who he said he was, if he is Lord, then he rightly demands and deserves all of our affections, all of our obedience, all of our worship. But you can't ignore him. That's why it's a foundational question. You've got to come to an answer. Who was he? Who is he? And who is he to you? Not who did your mama say he is. Not who did your daddy say he is. Not who do your friends at school say he is. Who do you believe he is? And my prayer is, and my hope is, that you would come to God's word with open hearts and open minds, asking and seeking for the Lord to give you those answers. And that God would, in his sovereign grace, open your hearts and open your eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. Peter understands it.
Peter understands it. You are the Christ. And everything changed. And then Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Not yet, anyway. Not yet, anyway. That, that'll change, right? After his work is done, that's going to change. See, there's still work he's got to be done. There's still things Jesus has got to do. Namely, he's still got to go to the cross. There's still work to be done that can't be stopped. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm pretty excited about having a few weeks off, but I kind of want to keep going because that, that's what's coming right next. I mean, right after this, Jesus foretells his death. And Peter says, uh-uh, that's, no, that's not the way the Messiah works. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Because there's work still to be done. So don't tell anybody. Because this work answers a question. I was, I was listening to Alistair Begg. And don't you wish we all talked like Alistair Begg? But, but he, he asked this question. And I thought, man, that's good. The way he put it's good. That's just why he's Alistair Begg and I'm not. If God in his love longs to forgive sinners and yet in his justice he cannot ignore our sins and they have to be punished. How then can he display his love and execute his justice? What a really good question. If God in his love longs to forgive sinners, yet in his justice he cannot ignore sin and he has to punish sin, then the question is, how can God at the same time display his love and execute his justice? And that's where all this is headed. It's headed to the cross because it's on the cross that God simultaneously displays his love and executes his justice. And that's where everything is headed. That's where the Messiah is headed. That's what the Messiah has come to do. That's the kingdom that God has come to establish. Peter, now because of the work of God, the Father in his heart understands Jesus is the Christ, but he yet doesn't understand fully what that means. And so Jesus says, don't tell anybody about it. Now, after it's done, what does Jesus say? Go tell everybody about it. Go tell everybody about it. Who do you say that I am? That's the question. That's the question. Who do you say Jesus is? And you have to come to an answer on that question. He's, he's a liar. He's a lunatic or he's Lord. C.S. Lewis said it better than anybody. If you can find another option, come tell me. But you have to come to a decision. Let's pray. God, we pray.
that you would, by your grace, come and bring enlightenment and understanding so that we could see clearly, we would clearly know and understand rightly, Jesus, who you are. You are who you claim to be, the promised one of God, the son of God, the son of man, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. You and the Father are one. You are creator. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the deliverer who has come to set the captives free, who has come to restore sight to the blind. God, would we by your help see you for who you are and in seeing you, God, would we treasure you all the more and willingly, just as these men did, give our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.